Welcome to the Caleb and Phil Football Podcast, where two buddies from college review and preview Penn State football and the big college games. Okay, it's time for kickoff. Hello and welcome to the Caleb and Phil Football Podcast. My name is Caleb. I will be one of your co-hosts today. Phil, how's it going? It's going great, Caleb. I mean, who would have thought I, we're recording this December 9th? I mean, can you believe how fast this year has gone by since all the madness of last spring? It's crazy. It seemed like we waited forever and ever for the Big Ten season to start. And now we have one scheduled game left and the week nine, which no one knows what anything's going on for that week other than, you know, who's going to make the championship game. So it's been pretty crazy. Yeah, I think crazy would be an understatement. And, uh, you know, we'll talk about that a little bit more today. Um, We've got a lot of news to cover in college football before we even start getting to the games themselves. First thing, South Carolina, rather than waiting for the offseason, they have already made an announcement on their head coach. They have gone with hiring uh, head coach Sean Beamer, who is currently Lincoln Riley of Oklahoma, currently his offensive coordinator. Uh, Shane Beamer, the last name may sound familiar, and it should. He is the son of the former Virginia Tech head coach, Frank Beamer, um, who has a long history with that program. So, uh, Caleb, early thoughts? Good hire? think they should have waited a little bit? Well, it is his first time as a head coach, so, you know, he doesn't have any uh, track record or resume to really stand on. But, you know, coming from Lincoln Riley, he's probably got some innovative offensive stuff to work with. But it's um, it'd be a matter of to see if he can get a quarterback to, you know, help propel South Carolina into the SEC, uh, into that top tier of the SEC. Yeah, I mean, I like I like the hire. Uh, I like whenever you know, people with that don't have experience necessarily get that opportunity. And so I will be very interested to see how he does there. Another bit of news, Akron ending a 21, yes, 21 game losing streak by beating Bowling Green 31 to three. I mean, honestly, Caleb, if you're Bowling Green, how are you feeling right now? Yeah, it's not like uh, we lost on a fluky play. You lost by 28 points to a team that hadn't lost, hadn't won, you know, since 2018, probably if my math adds up correctly there. So yeah, you can't be feeling good if you're bowling green, you know. Great for Akron, though, getting getting back on the winning side. Yeah. Now, Kelb, you did some you did some really good uh, research and deep digging here. We've had three teams this season enter the top 25 for the first time: Liberty. Coastal Carolina, and now Buffalo has entered the AP poll for the first time at number 24. Buffalo has produced talent in the past, uh, and it seems like now that talent is coming together in, I mean, clearly a pretty good team at number 24. Yeah, I'm pretty sure their game was uh, canceled this last weekend, so they didn't even have to play to earn that AP poll ranking, but good for them. Um, yeah, when I did my research, when I was looking it up, someone on the Athletic writes an article who votes on the AP poll every week, and I think he said there are now 18 teams left in the uh, in FBS that have not been ranked. So started the season at 21, down to 18. So we'll see who can cross their names off that list next. Yeah, I guess whenever your last game is beating Kent State 70 to 41, they probably think, yeah, you know, I think they can be in the top 25. <laughs> <laughs> um. Game got canceled, though, Caleb, or a game this upcoming weekend got canceled. The 
legendary rivalry that really hasn't been much of a rivalry as of late. Michigan versus Ohio State. Canceled. Done. Benite. Now, uh, we'll look at this a little bit later, but this initially was putting Ohio State's opportunity at going into the conference championship in jeopardy because there was an, there was a rule that said you had to play six conference games to get in. Um, so that's a problem for Ohio State, but we will talk about the answer to that a little later. I'm more interested in Michigan because there's been a lot of speculation about Jim Harbaugh. Uh, we've even talked on this show about him having a hard time recruiting and keeping Michigan recruits in his home state at Michigan in Ann Arbor. I'm hearing him linked to a positions like the Detroit Lions uh, on the Around the NFL podcast. I heard, I believe it was Patrick Claibon spoke about him possibly being linked to the New York Jets, or and and I think he was kind of joking about the New York Jets, but his his logic behind it also made it sound like it seems more likely that Jim Harbaugh has coached his last game for the Wolverines. I'm not sure if you have a take on that or not. Yeah, maybe. Um, you know, this is what the second consecutive game Michigan's had to cancel, so maybe they'll make it back in time to play that um week nine game that no one really knows what's going on. So maybe he'll be able to coach one more. But yeah, he only, he's only got one year left on his resume on his um on his contract. And, you know, usually you either get fired before that last year or you get into contract extension. And it seems like the winds are definitely swirling more towards the getting fired than the contract extension. It would be really, really unusual for Michigan to go into next year with him as the head coach with no contract extension for sure. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to be very interested in, in that as well for that same reason that, you know, this is a guy that's had a lot of success in his past, had a lot of success at turning Stanford around thanks to the help of players like, um, you know, Andrew Luck, Toby Gerhardt, probably less well-known there, did great things at San Francisco before kind of being run out of town in a very curious fashion, and then starting off pretty okay with Michigan, but uh, just can't, seems to struggle in big games, seems to struggle with recruits and, you know... We'll see. I I would certainly be interested to see him in an NFL role again. I think he had some of his best successes there. All right. It's been a little bit later. Now let's talk specifically about the Big Ten in general. Like I said before, originally there was this requirement said there was a six-game minimum to make the championship game in the Big Ten. And, uh, well... Ohio State's had a few cancellations, and so they were initially going to be kept out of that game. The Big Ten met. They decided, you know what, we don't need this requirement. So they are the, – the plan is for them to scrap that requirement. So we'll have Ohio State versus Northwestern in the Big Ten championship. Caleb, you like the idea that the Big Ten will scrap the six-game minimum? Um, you know, I have, I have feelings both ways, you know, it is a kind of an arbitrary thing that they made up just this year. So, you know, why, why keep it intact? If you, you know, it's kind of just an arbitrary thing. Why was it six? Why was it not five? Why was it not seven? Mm-hmm. You know, so it was just kind of a made up number that they went with. And so I have no problems, I guess, with them scrapping it. But in the same light, you know, if Ohio State, you know, whether they play Northwestern for the Big Ten championship game or if they would have got bumped down to the number two game and they would have played Iowa, you know, they're both ranked 
pretty similarly in the teens. So would would that really make that big of a difference? You know, assuming they beat Northwestern or Iowa the following weekend for their resume to make it to the college football playoff, mm-hmm. you know? So I think, you know, in some other ways, you know, if it had been Indiana versus Northwestern, the Big Ten title game, you know, those two schools, I think, need that Big Ten championship more, you know? Yeah, sure, there'd be an asterisk spite. We all know Ohio State's the best team in the conference, but I think it'd have been cool to let Indiana and Northwestern, two teams that don't make the Big Ten championship game often, give them a shot at winning a winning a Big Ten championship. Yeah, it definitely would have been interesting. Now, Indiana also had to shut down their, um, their football operations due to some COVID stuff this week. But nevertheless, you know, you, you said it, Caleb. We all know Ohio State is the best team in the Big Ten. No question about it. Justin Fields, uh, Garrett Wilson, Trey Sermon, Master T, and uh, Tough Borland, and and Sean Wade. There's so many high-quality players on that roster. They really don't they really don't need to play this game to up their resume. Um, I, I do think this was something where they went back, though, and this was a business decision for the Big Ten saying, we want to guarantee that we have somebody – in the championship or in the college football playoffs. But I mean, really they should learn from history because I seem to recall a time. Oh, what was it? Four years ago where the big 10 conference champion uh, was not in the playoffs. Hmm. Who was the champion that year? Uh, I think it was some school from the middle yeah. of uh, Keystone state. Yeah. They, they were, they were blue. I think. Yeah. Sometimes white. Yeah, they had some no-name running back and quarterback. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, well. Yeah, I mean, we'll have to do deep research on that later. <laughs> ACC championship game is set up. It's going to be a rematch on December 19th. I'm looking forward to picking this game. It's going to be Notre Dame versus Clemson. Last time this game was played was on my son's birthday, November 7th. Uh, Notre Dame won the game 47-40. to I remember watching this or parts of this game on my laptop in uh, mother and baby in the mother and baby room while my son was sleeping in the bassinet. My wife was in the hospital bed and uh, watching DJ Uwe Ongale, Ongale, DJ, uh, the quarterback of Clemson, putting up really good numbers, watching Ian Book continue his stellar career. Ian Book now the winningest quarterback in Notre Dame football history. Wow. It, was, it really was a, a worthwhile show. One of the very few Saturday night games that has kept me intrigued the entire time. Uh, now we're going to get to see what happens whenever you add Trevor Lawrence to the equation. And right now, Caleb, I am predicting a different result from what we saw last time. But, uh, I mean, like I said, this is going to be a really good game, I think. Yeah, and if, uh, if you didn't hear, the ACC kind of – Bended the rules to let Notre Dame and Clemson have this week off, a bye week in essence, to prepare for their rematch in the ACC title game. You know, they've already played nine or ten games. And so in in a way, when they um, when they both won this past week, they clinched their spots there. So, you know, Miami's dealt with a lot more COVID issues, I think, than most of the rest of the conference. So they had played far fewer games than some of these other teams. So I think it's was kind of, you know, leveling out the playing field, leveling out the total number of games played for each team. So Big Ten is not the only one uh, bending the rules in a way. You know, there was no games minimum played for the ACC, but they uh, gave Notre Dame and Clemson an extra week to prepare for this game. So, you know, that seems like a lot of conferences may be doing this. 
Yeah, and yeah, in in the season of COVID, I guess they're thinking again. We want to make sure that the playoff committees get to see our conference teams at their best. That way, whenever they make their decisions, they'll say, "Oh yeah, we want them." Although, I think as of right now, nobody's questioning that Notre Dame and Clemson are two of the top four teams in the country. A mm-hmm. uh, little bit of unfortunate news. Former Alabama head coach Ray Perkins has passed away. He was 79 years old. Uh, he coached Alabama for four years and got a record of 32, 15, and 1. So back whenever college football was still tying. And he had also previously coached the Giants and the Bucks. Uh, condolences to the Perkins family. And, uh, you know, it's a sad loss for the Alabama community. Yeah, and we will essentially have our next Ray Perkins here soon because he had to follow the great Bear Bryant at Alabama, which is a obviously a daunting task for for such a great coach, a legendary coach. And, you know, who knows when it'll be, but Nick Saban will be doing that at some point here in the future. So we will have, as I said, in essence, our next Ray Perkins to see if that coach can live up to the billing that Nick Saban and Bear Bryant have set at Alabama. Yeah. Hey, did you know they said something about uh, how Bear Bryant got his nickname on Saturday? Did you hear that on game day? Uh, I did not. I think it was something like he got like bit by a bear. Oh, wow. Like like a little bear. Mm -hmm. I think it like nibbled on his ear or or something. And so he got the nickname. I think that was the story. I was just like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the world world we live in and how nicknames come. All right, Caleb, uh, let's go ahead and let's talk about last week's games. Yeah, let's get to it. First off, number 25, Louisiana, surviving Appalachian State, 24-21. That looks like a normal scoreline, but there was no way normal getting to that point. Uh, first off, this was Louisiana's first ever win against App State in nine tries. They had been 0-8 previously. App State got the ball down three, drove down the field, got it to a 30-yard field goal attempt, and the kicker missed it wide left with one second to go. He also missed a kick in the first half, so double whammy there. And this was uh, bad weather throughout the game, bad snaps all around. Louisiana took two safeties, uh, one as a direct result, uh, the, the long snapper, he put, I think, four snaps over the punter's head during this game, and one of them that the the punter had to, you know, he was in the back of the end zone, so he just booted it out of the end zone to take the safety. And then the second one, indirectly, instead of, you know, risking another bad punt, they just decided to, quote-unquote, go for it on fourth down where the quarterback ran backwards and took a safety, which was an interesting decision because that made the score, as we said, 24-21, so made a five-point game, a three-point game. Mm-hmm. And if App State had made that field goal and gone on to win in overtime, I think that uh, the coach of Louisiana would have been having a lot of backlash this week talking about the decision to take a safety to give Appalachian State a chance to tie the game easier. But, you know, he got a little bit of lady luck with missing the field goal, so good for Louisiana, good for the Raging Cajuns. Yeah, and it feels weird that they didn't just do like some pooch kicks, you know, give it to the quarterback out of the gun and and let him kind of send it 10, 20 yards down the field. But, you know, I get it too. At least with your kickoff team, you can hopefully pin Appalachian State back a little further so they won't be able to score touchdowns. Um, Whereas, like, you know, you're you're more willing to give up two than you are seven, I guess, is how they were looking at it. But weird game indeed. Uh, I know I had picked Appalachian State because it's Appalachian State versus a ranked team. So 
Uh, I was really bummed to see them lose this one, but Louisiana has been another school where it's been exciting to see them perform so well this year. Uh, typically they are sort of, uh, they're, they're typically eaten off the, off the bottom of the fishing tank, but, or the fish tank, but not this year, this year they're playing pretty well. Yeah, another team that's playing well this year. That's a bit of a surprise. Number 18, Coastal Carolina beats number 13, BYU, 22-17. to And you'll say, wait, didn't you guys pick Coastal Carolina against Liberty last week? That's right. Liberty had some COVID issues, so they had to cancel the game. And in the meantime, Coastal Carolina called up BYU. They got the game to be played. You know, college game day was at this game, so I think they wanted as much national exposure as they could get. And boy, did they get it. So this was a this was a really good game. BYU's quarterback Zach Wilson finished the day 19 to 30 for 240 yards, a touchdown and a pick. And he was going for the game-winning rushing touchdown as time expired, but he was stopped a yard short on the final play. Time ran out. Um, you know, it's kind of similar, I guess, in essence, to the, the Super Bowl, the Rams won, where they stopped the Titans a yard short to win the Super Bowl, you know over 20 years ago at this point. Coastal Carolina's running back C.J. Maribel had two touchdowns and 132 yards rushing on the day, so he was able he was the main force on Coastal Carolina's offensive attack. You know, BYU had a hard time stopping the run in this game, so pretty cool game that came together last second here, Phil. Yeah, I mean, they, they scheduled the game on Thursday, then they played it on Saturday, and this is a top 25 matchup. So I don't want to hear this whole, like, oh, it's hard to like get games set up. Nope, it can be done. And um, I love the t-shirts that were printed for the game, Mullets versus Mormons. Uh, made me, <laughs> definitely made me chuckle as I, as I looked at them. I've heard some people say that Zach Wilson played himself out of, like, Heisman contention and out of, like, first-round conversation. I definitely think he has stepped out of the Heisman conversation now after this game. Uh, first round, I, I still like the guy a lot. I was bummed this game was on ESPNU. Uh, you know, I'm a, that's a, that's big money that I just don't spend on, uh, on cable. So I didn't get to watch this game, but from what I saw from highlights and stuff and what I, what I was reading from sports reporters, I mean, this sounds like one of the best games of the year. So, um, I'm glad that Coastal Carolina was able to show up in a big way here. Yeah. All right. We finally had some upsets this week. Not too many that affected the college football playoff race, but, you know, upsets are upsets. First Mm -hmm. off, TCU upsets. Number 15, Oklahoma State, 29-22. TCU's quarterback, Max Duggan, 12 of 26, 265 yards, one passing touchdown, one interception. He also added 104 yards rushing and two rushing touchdowns on the day. Oklahoma State, they were without Chuba Hubbard, but Desmond Jackson stepped in just fine. 29 carries, 118 yards, and a touchdown. And Spencer Sanders, 16 to 34, 270 yards, one touchdown, one interception. I'm guessing you would have uh, preferred if Illingworth was playing in this game, huh, Phil? You you read my mind. I feel like the squeaky wheel, but I love Illingsworth. He's such a good quarterback. He's the best quarterback on that roster. And Sanders just doesn't cut the cheese. You know, 16 for 34. Clearly some accuracy issues. Turn the ball over uh, once, too. And uh, TCU, again, they are not having a, a season that will go down in, like, the memory books. But they are finding some games that are, are very enjoyable for the fans. So, uh Good on the Horn Frogs. Yep. Next one here. Disappointing from we've talked about this team a little bit here. 
Marshall getting shut out by Rice, twenty to nothing. Grant Wells, Phil, one of your favorite quarterbacks this year, eighteen to thirty-five, one hundred sixty-five yards and five interceptions oh. on the day. Woof. Ugh. I think that's what we both texted each other whenever I had mentioned. Look at look at Wells' stat line. And you're right. Oh, this hurts because Wells was playing so well before this game. I was loving watching him play, reading his stat lines. He was accurate. Uh, not in this game. This game was a nightmare. I mean, there are some games where you go back and you try to figure out what you can learn from them. And there's some games that you just throw in a dumpster fire and say never again. And this is one of those games. He's got to go back and uh, and just kind of put this game behind him and, and move forward because – this was a mess. So bummed. Yeah, unfortunate. Uh, number 22, Washington dug themselves a 21-point halftime lead for the second straight week. This time it fell short as they lose to Stanford 31-26. Stanford led 24-3 at halftime. And the main catalyst here, Stanford was running back Austin Jones. 31 carries, 138 yards, and two touchdowns. So just a pack 12 you know, it's kind of almost like the Big Ten, except they don't have an Ohio State that's, and maybe even an Indiana standing above the rest right now. Yeah, it was a uh, another one of those uh, unfortunate games for Washington, like you said, with the comeback. But I mean, you cannot you cannot expect um, a different result whenever you're down twenty four three at halftime. Certainly, it happens, but it shouldn't be an expectation. Oh, we'll go back and and conquer this. You've got to be able to do things like. Stop the run whenever that happens because you know that Stanford's going to just milk that and, and milk the clock to run it out. 31 carries on the ground. That's a lot of tread on the tire of Austin, on the tires of Austin Jones. That's a lot of time you're going to be losing, so you have to make the most of your offensive opportunities. Washington did a good job of that in the second half, not in the first half, and that's why we have this result. Yep. And another Pac-12 upset, this time number 23, Oregon, losing second game in a row to Cal, 21-17. Oregon shut out in the second half. You don't hear that very often for the Ducks. And on their final three drives, two of them ended in fumbles. So they had their chances to beat Cal, but unable to do it. Hold on to the ball, buy some more stick'em. I mean, yeah, it was uh, not exactly the showing you want to have there, especially against Cal. Um, the Bears are... Well, they aren't like the, I, I mean, I don't really, I'm trying to think of like the last time I would really have classified them as one of the, the great teams in the conference. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, even uh, when Jared Goff was there, you know, number one overall pick, he would, their teams weren't great back then. I don't think. Yeah. I mean, maybe I'm trying, and I don't even remember how they played with Rogers. I know there was one time in the last 20, <laughs> I know there was one time in like the last 20 years. Uh, in the last 15 years, I can think of where, like, I heard Cal said a lot. I was I was uh, younger. I think I might have been in high school then, so I wasn't mm-hmm. really paying too much attention to them. But, uh, you know, if you can't really think of the last time a team is good, you don't want to drop games to them. And uh, Oregon, you know, does it here. And, uh, you know, they're going to they, – they pay the price in the rankings for it. Yep. Let's move on to the Big Ten. As a reminder, two games were canceled last weekend, Northwestern versus Minnesota, as well as Michigan versus Maryland. This time, we mentioned it earlier, the game, Ohio State versus Michigan, canceled. It's the first time these two teams are not playing since 1917. Also, Purdue versus Indiana canceled. This is the first time they're not playing since 1919. So throw that in with the um, Minnesota-Wisconsin game that was canceled a few weeks ago and the three longest 
um, outstanding rivalries in the Big Ten all canceled this year. So, like I said, we haven't got a lot of clarity on week nine, what's happening during that game, other than we know that it's supposed to be Ohio State versus Northwestern in the Big Ten title game. So I wonder if Purdue, Indiana, Nebraska, or not Nebraska, Minnesota, Wisconsin, if these teams will be able to play their rivalry games and, you know, just like Penn State and Michigan State this upcoming weekend for the land grant trophy that everyone cares about, surely. Yes, we all are, are deeply invested. Now, now, to be fair, I do love the the conference trophies, and I'm kind of bummed that we've gone away from them. But uh, not not as much now that there is this uh, this uh, oh, what is it? Conference championship football playoff on the line. I'm trying to think of who it was. I think it was Kirk Herbstreet had said though that we're missing, or the way that college football is looking now with the playoffs, uh, we are we're kind of losing out on some of the things that make college football so much better than professional football in that in professional football, the goal is always the same goal, win the Super Bowl. Whereas like under, and I was no lover of the BCS, but whenever we, we did that pre college football uh, playoffs to the national championship route used to be, you know, even if we don't go to the, uh, even if we don't, go to the national championship we can still go to a good bowl game and there was a lot of excitement around the history of that i don't feel like there is as much of that anymore i feel like there's just so much focus on the playoffs which which is a bummer i would definitely agree that that has been the case um but you know we we live we learn we move on we'll see what happens if uh we're able to kind of find those sparks and uh those sparks in other bowl games i know that i get pretty bummed that like the semifinals are taking place of like the Rose bowl, the orange bowl, the Fiesta bowl, depending on the year. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. I'm very interested after all these games getting canceled, just to see, uh, what it'll look like whenever, uh, there's this perception maybe from people in Indiana feeling like, well, Hey, you know, like, do they feel slighted? I guess saying, you know, like we did our best, but again, they kind of had trouble following, uh, COVID thing or meeting the standard as well. I don't know, Caleb. Like yeah. like you and I kept saying, we were kind of hoping that by this point in the season, we'd have less co- cancellations, but we're having a whole lot more. Mm-hmm. It is unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. Found this to be a little odd. 10 out of the 14 teams in the Big Ten right now have exactly two wins. Wow. Yeah, that's right. Remember, there are 14 teams in the Big Ten. We haven't changed our name despite the growing conference like the Pac-12 has. Although, are there 14 teams in the Pac-12 now? I think so. Yeah, I don't think any of the conferences that have numbers. <laughs> yep. Maybe we should be like more like the ACC or SEC and just, you know, call ourselves something else. Yeah, the East Co- Oh, wait. <laughs> All right, let's get into actual game action. Number four, Ohio State crushing Michigan State 52-12. to uh, From what I've heard, Ohio State had 23 players unavailable in this one, including four starters, three on the offensive line, and captain linebacker Tuff Borland. Those were four of the key starters out for this game. It didn't matter. They still won by 40. Justin Fields, 199 yards passing two passing touchdowns and this is one of the games he showed off his legs 104 yards rushing and two rushing touchdowns this might be the game he showed off his feet the most so far this year uh chris olave had another solid day at the office 10 catches 139 yards and a touchdown uh without as much passing this game garrett wilson was the one who suffered yeah uh fields 
he was it was in question before the game if he was going to be playing, but he was able to, and you can see it definitely paid some huge dividends for them there. It was crazy whenever they mentioned how many players weren't going to be able to participate in this game. But uh yeah, it didn't matter. Justin Fields is just is just too good of a quarterback and a leader of that team. Definitely bomb Penn State missed out on him, especially as we see him continue to grow and grow and perform at a high level. I mean, honestly, at this point, I would say I know that there's a lot of hype around Mac Jones and Kyle Trask, but I think I would still take Justin Fields over the two of them right now. Well, yeah, I, I think I would. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot of good quarterback play in college football right now, so it's cool yeah. to see. Agreed, 100%. Mm-hmm. Hey, tell me about the Indiana game. I loved watching it, so I want to hear your, your thoughts to this. Yeah, number 12, Indiana beating number 16, Wisconsin. This was pretty shocking. Low-scoring game, 14-6. to Jack Tuttle came in. He replaced Michael Penix Jr., who was out for the season. 13-22, 130 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. It's not asked to do too much, but did what he needed to do in order to get this win. Graham Mertz, he has not played well since that season opening game, you know, that Friday night game, first week of the season, five touchdowns, no interceptions. Since then, not good. 202 yards, no touchdowns, one interception, and a loss fumble in this game. Uh, to me, this is the most impressive Indiana has been all year. You know, beating, they beat, they beat us obviously week one by a point in overtime. They only lost by a touchdown to Ohio State, but a lot of that was kind of late. They were down 35-7 at one point. So going in, beating Wisconsin, another ranked team. I know they're not ranked anymore, and they're only like 2-2 two and two on the year or something, so not a great record. But, you know, this is still, a to me, with your backup quarterback transferred in, this is the most impressive I've been with, uh, most impressed I've been with Indiana all season. Yeah, it, this was a clear statement win for Indiana. This was a, a big win. First of all, I am off the Graham Mertz hype train. Uh, I will need to see much more. As of right now, he's playing. He reminds me of like Kellen Mond from last year. So uh, maybe he will luck out and next year we'll have the kind of season that Kellen Mond is having this year uh, from Texas A&M. Meanwhile, Jack Tuttle looked good. I thought he did a nice job throwing a lot, throwing the ball, putting some nice touch on passes. There was one play where he got he got pretty where he got hit pretty hard, looked like he was going to be out. They had the third string quarterback ready to come in, but Tuttle came back out onto the field, and uh, I think that was a good thing. He was a clear leader on that field too. I mean, it did not look like there was a downgrade from Penix Jr. and Tuttle from the Indiana offense. That, that's how I felt. I don't know if you feel the same way, Caleb, or, or a little different, but that's how that's how I was watching it. Yeah, I think Penix Jr. has more upside right now. Also, probably because he's been in the system a little bit longer. I think this is Jack Tuttle's first year at Indiana since transferring over. So I think Tuttle may be able to get there. But yeah, there was not a huge drop off, which is, uh, you know, good to see. Yeah, 100%. Next game, number 19, Iowa overcoming a slow start as they beat Illinois 35 21. Iowa trailed 14 0 in this game. Uh, Spencer Petros, not a bad game. 202 yards, 220 yards passing and three touchdowns to lead Iowa to their comeback victory. Yeah. Iowa's having a really great uh, second half of this season, or it's just playing really well in general too. 
performing well in this game, being able to to go in and really outbattle Illinois, a team that they should beat after being down 14, ending up beating them by 14. That's you know, that's a big turnaround and and that's a testament to the offense, that's a testament to the defense and to the coaching. And I do not want to forget special teams either. But it's just an all-around good effort. And that's what you want to see from complete teams. So the Hawkeyes were able to to come in, take care of business, continue to say, yeah, we deserve to be in the top 20. I mean, even though they frustrate the daylights out of me from the times that, like, Daryl Clark was our quarterback, I still enjoy watching Iowa play well because they're a tough team. And watching them play the play the game tough is, is exciting. And Petras, like you said, 223 touchdowns. I mean, what a great passer, too. Yeah, and I think Iowa still maybe slightly under-ranked, under-appreciated this year. Yeah. Their first two losses were by combined five points. One was to Northwestern, who was ranked. One is to Purdue, which looks like a bad loss now, but, you know... And ever since then, all their wins since then, I'm pretty sure have all been by double digits. So Hawkeyes, yeah, watch out. Yeah, I mean, beware. Nebraska got off to a hot start and held on to beat Purdue 37-27. to Adrian Martinez was still the quarterback in this one, and I can't imagine he's losing that at this point as he won 23-30 for 242 yards, one passing touchdown, two rushing touchdowns. And it seems like ever since Purdue got, you know, the bad – the short end of the stick on that offensive pass interference against was it Illinois a few weeks ago, Minnesota, I think. Minnesota a few weeks ago, they have not been the same team for whatever reason. Yeah. I mean, Caleb, the, the real question is, do you think Purdue social media department was asking Nebraska or thanking Nebraska for bringing back big 10 football? Or do you think they passed? Um, yeah, probably passed. Yeah, probably a uh, good win for the corn Huskers. Scott Frost needs this kind of a win to be able to bring some more recruits in and and build that program up. And like I said, this is a good win for him to be able to do that. Yep. All right, Caleb, you ready to talk Penn state? Let's get to it. All right. So I think uh, once, what is, is the phrase once a coincidence, twice as a pattern, or maybe it's twice. It doesn't matter. We're starting to be on a streak. Penn state is on a winning streak. Yes. Finally, we defeat the Scarlet Knights of Rutgers 23 to 7. And with this win, we become the ninth college football team to earn 900 wins. Talk about a huge deal, Caleb. Yeah, it's pretty cool. You know, obviously Penn State being one of the longest tenured programs, one of the older programs in the nation. So Michigan's way out ahead. They're at like 962 wins. Everyone else is right around, you know, that has made it to 900, somewhere between like 900 and 920 wins or so. So Michigan will probably be the first one to 1,000, but Penn State, you know, there's a few teams right in front of them. Nebraska's at like 902. Harvard and Yale are, I think, pretty pretty close in front of them too. So Penn State may be able to be, you know, seventh or eighth team to 1,000 wins when we get there, you know, in a decade from now, whenever that is. Yeah, and like you said, a lot of other big teams there. I think Michigan, yeah, like 962. Uh, Bama might be in like the 930s, but this is a this is a big win. Uh, we saw a good first half and a kind of meh second half. One thing that we saw a lot of during the game too was some really bad wind. It was crazy how strong that wind was going, Caleb. I mean, on those on the kickoffs especially, like Jordan Stout, somebody that I would expect to blow it out the back of the end zone, 
Instead, I think I think he like kicked it with his strength, but that wind definitely carried the ball instead of going through the back of the end zone to like the ten yard line. It was it was wild. Yeah, the wind definitely had a factor in this game, including in some of these coaching decisions. I would think. Yeah, and I want us to talk about uh, some of those decisions a little bit. But first, I want to look at the offensive side of the ball. Sean Clifford got the start. Definitely seemed like the right decision. 15 for 22, 133 yards, one touchdown, one pick, eight rushes for 21 yards. Overall, he had a QBR around 40, and I think a big part of that is because of the second half. And it's going to be a coaching decision that Caleb and I both question. And so, actually, let's just talk about it right now. Will Levis had 17 carries for 65 yards, came in a lot on like third and one or on like fourth down conversions. Caleb, do you feel like Clifford is unable to get into a rhythm with how much they bring in Levis? Maybe, you know, it seems like they're kind of trying. uh, The Colts are doing this, I feel like, in the Mm -hmm. NFL. Rivers obviously throws the ball mostly, and then Jacoby Brissett, if if they need a fourth and one, he'll do it, or if they're at the one-yard line. He'll score the touchdown QB sneak kind of his way in. So they're kind of copying the Colts in that way. So, you know, maybe, and like we, let us get to it. I think we both have it. It's like if Levis is coming in just to run the ball, why, why does the defense really have any cornerbacks in at all? You know, why do we even might as well throw in three tight ends and two running backs just to do the best blocking we can, you know, five tight ends, bring an extra offensive lineman if that's all we're going to do because exactly. if that so it is kind of weird and we know Clifford can do that too so <laughs> if if Levis isn't going to bring anything special you know kind of I guess what's the point right and and for me I see this as Clifford not being able to get into a rhythm and the quarterback position is rhythm is central to them being able to play well I mean, I, I don't love the move anymore. I thought it was like a cute sort of gimmicky thing that we would run a couple times. But now I think it's it's more a hindrance than anything else. It's a lot like the RPO, where the reward, eh, not exactly worth the risk. But uh, maybe that's just me. So yeah, Clifford had an, had an okay game. Like I said, good first half. Had a really nice touchdown pass to Parker Washington. Uh, and so let's talk about receiving. Parker Washington only had one reception. Now, Clifford only had 15 completions, so that's probably a big part of why. Parker Washington, one 29-yard touchdown reception at very early in the game that looked absolutely beautiful and led me to believe that, oh, man, we might actually get over 30 points this game for the first time since Indiana. Uh, nope. Uh, Jahan Dotson, four receptions, 30 yards. Lambert Smith, Country Lambert uh, Smith, four receptions, 25 yards. Brenton Strange, three receptions, 23 yards. Isaac Lutz, two receptions, 19 yards. Devin Ford, one reception, seven yards. Kelby, you get the impression that we really like short pass that we really like short passes. Yeah, I guess, I guess I wonder again, is it something with the wind? Do they not trust Clifford's arm enough in the wind in order to throw the ball deep downfield? Because it definitely has limited Jahan Dotson recently, you know, the first couple weeks of the season, partially because we were down a lot in these games. He was getting, you know, 100 plus yards, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 catches, touchdown or two. So definitely something to to watch. And I definitely thought that um Clifford a lot of his incompletions were on overthrows mm-hmm. high passes you know the one where it looked like Parker Washington was down for a little bit 
the ball was a little high. The interception, the ball was a little high. Uh, there was one, I think it was that third down before that fourth down that we went for early on in the on our first drive of the game. The third down was a screen pass to Lambert Smith. He dropped it. The ball was, again, a little high. So Clifford's definitely got to work on getting the ball a little bit lower to his receivers when we don't have eight-foot receivers out there. Right. And and again, I think that goes back to the whole rhythm piece. You keep him in the game, keep him in the game sense, let him know he's going to be in there the whole time. And and maybe he finds that rhythm. But in the meantime, we did enough to win. I think you're you're right from the perspective of, of this game in particular. I think we focused a lot on short passes because of how crazy that wind was. And it's a good thing uh, that we had a another really good rushing performance from our running backs. We had Kevon Lee leading the way again, 17 carries, 95 yards, looked really good. Devin Ford, 11 carries, 65 yards, had a touchdown. Now, Ford also had a fumble that was, I think Caleb and I both, I think we both texted each other and said uh, he was down or, you know, neither of us thought that it was actually a fumble, but uh, they said it was, and so it was. Kaziah Holmes, not too much, three carries for five yards, and then I already said this one, Will Levis, 17 carries, uh, 65 yards. Kevon Lee, I have to think next year, whenever we look at the depth chart, Caleb, it's going to be Noah Kane, Kevon Lee, Devin Ford. So Devin Ford's going to drop right back into that number three spot again at running back. Yeah, I could definitely see that. I was thinking the same thing. He's been obviously way more impressive than fellow true freshman Kaziah Holmes this year. But yeah, I would think Noah Kane, unless he's not 100% back from his injury yet, will be given the first chance at the starter. And it wouldn't surprise me with the way Kevon Lee's been running these past couple of weeks if he even overtakes him and is the starter by the end of next season. Yeah. I can't help but feel like Devin Ford might be getting the Ricky Slade treatment, minus the fact that Devin Ford – can hold on to the football, mm-hmm. unlike uh, Ricky Slate. Speaking of which, I have not even followed. Do we know if Old Dominion played football this? Uh... No, they are the only team in their conference not to play this year. So I think they are. What are they in Conference USA? Whatever conference they're in, they decided not to play. So they're just they're practicing. So yeah, Ricky Rane and Ricky Slade are uh, practicing but not playing football. Okay, well we'll see. I mean, at least they don't lose a year of eligibility. Uh, mm-hmm. At guard, we had one player not out to make the trip. Uh, C.J. Thorpe, starting right guard, didn't play. And uh, this was something that, that I've kind of been following as of as of late because I never remember Penn State having this bad a problem with turnovers uh, under Franklin. And so it's, it's kind of been crazy to me. So I, I went back and I did some digging on this season. This is the first game this season where, where we lost the turnover battle and was still able to win. We've only won the turnover battle one time this season against Michigan. It's uh, it's crazy, but it's good that our offense was able to kind of compensate for that, get us to an early enough lead. I think it was 13 to nothing at the half, and then we scored a touchdown. So we were up 20 to nothing at one point to kind of help us out through those two turnovers. Yeah, for sure. Defensively, Rutgers had 32 carries for 83 yards. That's 2.6 yards per carry. Really, the defense played very well, especially the line. I heard Owe's name a lot. Saw Shaka Tony doing a lot of good things. P.J. Mustafer. It's like 
just what we had been looking for. We've been waiting for this defensive line to show up and, and show their dominance because it seems like they've been missing the past few weeks. They did it well. Jesse Lukita had a good fumble recovery, and uh, we were able to get the ball back and, and do some stuff there. Something that impressed me a lot was uh, Rutgers quarterback, or one of their quarterbacks, they, they play with two, Lanigan. I believe he was like 12 for 12, and he is very much like a Will Levis where he came in on short yard situations, would take the snap and, and run for the first down. He was like 12 for 12 on third downs coming into this game, and I think we stopped him three times. So that was a, a big deal. On fourth down, we also had a lot of success. We held Rutgers to uh, one of four attempts on fourth down. Castro Fields, our starting cornerback, misses another game, his fourth straight. And the defensive tackle, Hakeem uh, Beeman, did not play. But overall, I was very pleased with what I saw from the defense this game, Caleb. Yeah, and again, we're seeing, I think, the future. Beeman had a good game last week. He had a big sack or fumble recovery in the past game. And we're seeing it, yeah, with uh, Devon Ellis getting in on the action this time. Like you said, you know, again, no sacks for Shakatone or Jason Owe, but they're, they still played well. They did well in the run game. I know, yeah, I noted that 2.6 yards per carry, that's got to be our best on the season so far this year. We've been giving up, seems like, five or six yards per carry most of the season. So good to see them holding down the rushing and, you know, noticing when Langan came into the game, their Will Levis-style quarterback to be able to stop him on most fourth down conversions. Yeah, it was a very impressive showing. And I've been... I've really enjoyed seeing our defensive backs evolve. I felt like that was a, a weakness during a good chunk of last season. But between Joey Porter Jr. stepping up in, in a big way, we're hearing a lot of other names. And in this game, Daquan Hardy got a sack. I'm I'm feeling good about where the defense is, holding Rutgers to seven. Yes, it's Rutgers. I get that. But Shiano has done a lot to turn this program around. So the fact that we kept them to just one touchdown, I think that's a pretty big statement. Yeah, and it was triple overtime, but I don't think Rutgers scored in two of the three overtimes. They scored, I'm pretty sure, 40 against Michigan. So, yeah, their offense isn't terrible. Yeah. Special teams, Jake Penninger, I am sorry for what I said earlier about Jordan Stout needing to take over the kicking duties. He's done a great job taking the season and turning it around. Done a lot to clean up his kicking game. Been very accurate the last several weeks, and so uh, that's nice to see. Two for two on field goals, 30 and 27 yards. Two for two on extra points. I like that. And then Jordan Stout, friend of the show, came in and nailed a 47-yard field goal that honestly looked like it would have been good from like 60-plus. Part of that was the wind helping. Another part of it is that Jordan Stout has one of the strongest legs I have ever seen, and I cannot stop like fanboying over this guy. He had three punts in the game, 37.7-yard average, long of 43 yards, so not super impressive there, but again, take into account returns and that crazy wind, wind and uh, another good day for the special teams as well, Caleb. Yeah, and again, Stout 47. We were told he'd been the 50-plus yard field goal kicker. He kicked a 49-yarder earlier in the season. Now he's down to 47, so I I like what we're seeing here with Stout getting you know, maybe 45-plus from now on and Pinnegar getting under 45. I think I, I like that more and more. Yeah, I do too. Let's talk about some of the challenges, though, that we saw with the coaching. We were 4 for 15 on third down. Now, I think Rutgers was like 3 for 15 or 3 for 13 or whatever, so they weren't very good either. But, Caleb, we're having a lot of problems on third down this season, and I think a big part of it is that 
and I think you wrote this in our show notes, I think we're seeing too much Levis during third down. So not only the, the quarterback draws in general do I question, I question bringing him in so frequently on third downs. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. Um, I Actually, I think most of those third down conversions might be Will Levis, but those are, you know, third and ones, third and twos that Will Levis is just getting those necessary yards to get the pick picking up those third downs. So maybe we're struggling more on the third and mediums, third and longs. And, you know, obviously you don't expect to get too many third and longs, convert those, but, you know, hopefully you get one or two of those a game. So I'm not sure what it is. Again, maybe the wind had something of a factor with it. So they didn't trust Clifford to throw from these third downs, you know, potentially throw an interception and they were just hoping Levis could get, pick it up with his legs or get close enough that we would go forward on fourth down. Yeah, and I guess I just I don't like the predictability. You know, there there are some teams where you can get away with and you know, a team I'm thinking of would be last year's Baltimore Ravens in the NFL, where you knew every time they showed up they were gonna run the ball, they were gonna slam it down your throats, and and there was nothing you could do about it. We don't have that kind of an offense this season, and so we kind of need the elements of surprise to support us there, but um we don't have it. So I guess I I will I will continue to question the Levis decision, and I will continue to question the the lack of creativity on on routes and passing plays. I felt like we were at a breakthrough last week during that Michigan game, and I felt like we were seeing a lot of good stuff in the first half, and then the second half it just seemed like we went back to where we were, you know, the first you know four or five games of the season, but. Yeah, it, it was very it was very confusing to me watching basically two different teams play in blue and white on Saturday. Um, there's a specific play though that I want to go to, and and I had texted you, Caleb, and and you and I were talking about this because I wanted to look at this. Fourth and thirteen, we're on the opponent's thirty-one yard line, and what happens? Tell the fans, Caleb. Yep. Go for it. Um, uh, Clifford did a pretty good job, I think, you know, scrambling out right, and he completed mm-hmm. the pass. And, but it was only for about six or seven yards, so only about half the yards we needed. So, yeah, everyone was wondering, you know, why are we going for it? Fourth and 13, it's pretty long. You know, it had been about just under a 50-yard field goal, and we must have been going the other way on the field because they trusted stuff to kick a 47-yard field goal later in the game. So, win had to have been an... It, a problem that you know part of the thought process there and if you're going to punt the ball from the opponent's 31 you know maybe you're only getting 15 yards of field position so i guess going forward's probably better than punting the ball i can see that but um you know if yeah if you're not going to trust your your guy to throw the ball downfield like you didn't really seem to do most of the day game I don't know. I don't know what the best course of action is if you don't trust your if you don't trust that you can throw the ball to the sticks to get that first down. Right. And that's what confused me was why are we why are we scheming up a play on fourth and thirteen that have routes that short? Our our wide receivers are good, but I don't think they have the support um to be able to to pull off a play where you know they catch a six yard reception and they turn it in the thirteen on a fourth down play where the defense is guarding those sticks, so I was confused by that play call. I felt like there's so many different options that, that we could have run, or we could have maybe taken a delay of game penalty and tried some directional kicking. So 
was not in love with that coaching decision uh, myself. But you know, still overall, um, still overall, we got the win. And uh, let's jump into some final thoughts here, Caleb. What yeah. were you thinking as you were watching the game? Yeah, like we mentioned, first half. Great, you know, maybe the best half of Penn State football we've seen all year. Second half, you know, back to the same. It's kind of like they're just, you know, trying to hold on for the win, and that's what they did. So still need to work on the red zone offense. What is, I think it was two field goals in the red zone and just the one touchdown in the red zone as the other one was for, um, outside the red zone when we scored. So still need to work on that red zone offense. Turnovers resurfacing, not great. You know, can't have two turnovers in a game and expect to win most games. Um, like we've mentioned, Clifford, you know, needs to work on not throwing the ball high as well. Maybe need to get into a better rhythm. And Big Ten officiating needs to get its act together for the second turnover. <laughs> um, I did like how Clifford played it again, especially in the first half. He kept his eyes down the field. He... Um, he was, yeah, he was keeping his eyes down the field. He was looking to see his options. He wasn't just, you know, tucking and running and picking up a couple yards. He was looking and seeing if he could make a better play out of it, which was great. And, you know, kind of off of what we've been saying during this game, during this talk, Clifford and Levis, you know, this strategy is winning you a game today, you know, this week against Rutgers. Maybe it's your best strategy in order to win against Michigan State this week. You know, we ran the ball over 50 times. Levis, or sorry, Clifford just had those 22 pass attempts. Maybe the weather had a lot to do with that, but, and it worked. But I know, are you evaluating your quarterback's best for next season? You know, if you don't trust Clifford to throw the ball and you're not being able to see it, you know, how are we going to work out next season? Are we just going to hope we can run the ball 50 times a game and be able to get a victory that way? You know, we're going to have, I guess, I think from what I've read, five quarterbacks on the roster next year. We got Clif Clifford and Levis. We have uh, Robertson and Micah Bowens as freshmen. And then we're bringing in a new quarterback from the recruiting class. So there's a chance at least one of those guys is gone. You know, maybe someone enters the transfer portal, you know, because of that, so, you know, I feel like you got to evaluate these quarterbacks and see what they can do to help you next year. It's great to win. I want to win this year. You know, it helps out in a lot of things. It feels better to win games, but I want to be able to go into next year and give us ourselves the best chance of winning the conference because, obviously, uh, we've blown that shot this year already. Yeah, I'm I'm starting to accept that this is kind of like a mulligan year, and we're just going to have to move on from it and – you know, almost pretend this year didn't exist as long as we make some some of the necessary changes. That said, watching this game, it was awesome to see the defense show up. Saw a lot of good things from a lot of defensive players. I've mentioned some mentioned some of them already. Oa, Tony talked about Lukita, Joey Porter Jr. Um, and it's a good thing that they that they played a good game the whole way through because the offense was particularly lackluster in the second half. I mean. The defense kept us in that game with that lead, so uh, it was good to see. I am, despite the offensive struggles, I am still all aboard the Parker Washington hype train. I am wondering why he didn't get more targets because the one that he got, where he broke free and uh, got a twenty-nine yard touchdown, was one of the cleanest looking touchdowns that we have seen 
across the middle for Penn State this season. Might have been the only clean touchdown pass across the middle this season. But uh, overall, that was enjoyable. Big Ten does need to clean up a lot of things. I mean, honestly, I don't think it would be too terrible for them to clean house and get in a bunch of new officials. That being said, I, I also liked how clean both teams played this game. There are only five penalties total accounting for 50 yards. Penn State with two for 20, Rutgers with three for 30. Um, penalties just slow the game down too much, and so it was it was awesome not having to deal with flags all the time. I personally feel like, and in case it isn't obvious, this whole third and one put in Levis with the QB draw thing, if we're not going to make him a passing threat, we got to get rid of it. So please, 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 Kirk Schrocka, James Franklin, you know, make it happen. Let Levis throw the ball once or twice just to spook him. Or maybe, eh, maybe, perhaps, possibly, could we put Levis in under center? And let him take the snap from there. Because, again, and Caleb, you brought up the team before, the Indianapolis Colts. Jacoby Brissett is not exactly what I would consider a speedster at quarterback, but he does have the power, a lot like Will Levis. They put him under center to power over the line. I think we could benefit from that with Will Levis if we're going to keep that up. Um, I continue to miss James Franklin's James Franklin's usual hyped-up, super-pumped energy. I, I saw him. You know, arms crossed, stand on the sidelines. But I'm hoping that uh, that that kind of energy will come back and give a big old uh, kapow to opposing teams and give our team the the hype and the pep that they need going forward. So overall, you know, I I was definitely pleased by that game. Let's look at some Penn State news before we jump into or before we jump back to the rest of college football as we talk playoffs and picks. Uh, Joey Porter Jr. is named the Big Ten Freshman of the Week. I think that's a great call. I think Joey Porter's been playing some great, great football for Penn State. Definitely one of our top, if not the top defensive back. And yes, he's a freshman. Uh, he is the second Penn State player this year, and it's specifically the second straight Penn State player to be selected for this award. Kevon Lee won last week. So good on Joey Porter Jr. Right. Yeah, Parker Washington hasn't won it before. Ray Caleb? Uh, not that I remember. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. So, good on Joey Porter Jr. to uh, to achieve that accolade. Hopefully, it is the first of many accolades he will accrue in the blue and white. Three-star wide receiver Harrison Wallace, originally connected with Duke, has flipped his commitment to Penn State. This is a big deal. Uh, next week, National Signing Day happens, and we'll see a lot of recruits get uh, locked up. It's going to be important for Penn State to uh, be able to perform well this upcoming weekend, going into National Signing Day, being able to bring in a lot of good talent to allow for James Franklin to build on the success of, of years prior and the success of the last couple of weeks, too, uh, going forward. Yeah, and three stars, you know, Obviously not as good as a four or five star recruit, but just to show kind of how close these rankings are that uh, Wallace flipping from Duke to Penn State, that moved Penn State from sixth in the Big Ten rankings to fourth in the Big Ten rankings. So moved up two spots for just a just a three star recruit. You know, three star recruits, a lot of them play. I know a lot in college, a lot of them make it to the NFL on Sundays. Mm -hmm. So, you know, three star recruits. You know, they don't get all the shine. They don't get all the talk about like some of these other guys like Trevor Lawrence, a five-star recruit, or Justin Fields, a five-star recruit. But, you know, a lot of them still make it and make it big. 
Yeah, or you know Brandon Smith from Penn State, Micah Parsons, but uh, yeah, and I'm glad that you brought that up about the stars because I think Jack Tuttle, the Indiana quarterback that just beat Wisconsin, pretty sure he was a three, maybe he was a four star recruit, but you know the the stars are a semi arbitrary ranking. It is not the necessarily the true value of how they are going to play in college. We've had a lot of great three star players come through Penn State, and. Uh, Especially at the wide receiver position, it's hard to get stars there because there's so many players. It's not like he's like a five-star punter where uh, there are less players in that position. We play uh, Michigan State at 3.30 coming this Saturday on ESPN. It is our senior day, and it's going to be unfortunate that they won't get the sort of uh, pomp and circumstance that they deserve to get to come uh, as they wrap up their career. That being said, it is also possible that some of these seniors will come back next year because the NCAA is not mandating uh, or is not counting this year against their eligibility. I'm assuming Shaka Tony is going to go on and and make his bank in the NFL and and pumped for him. We already know Micah Parsons doing that because he opted out of the season. I'm wondering if Tariq Castro fields will. I'm assuming he will since he accepted the uh, senior bowl invite. But I don't know, Kelby. You think we'll have any seniors hang back this year? Um, I'm not counting on any, but, you know, maybe there's a surprise or two. Um, and, you know, maybe senior day will give us a little sneak peek into that. So maybe if they're leaning towards coming back next year, they'll wait to do their hopefully proper senior day next year where they get to bring their family along with them. Yeah. Uh, in this game against Michigan State, against the Spartans, this has been a very close rivalry. Michigan State leads this rivalry all time, 17-16. And one, that includes some pretty heartbreaking uh, losses in more recent years. But last year, Penn State had the upper hand and won that game 28-7 to in a big way. So uh, it should be a very, it should be another very good game. Michigan State struggling again this year, but it seems like they have a pretty good coach in place again who will uh, hopefully be able to rebuild that program. It's always good, even though it frustrates the daylights out of me whenever we lose Big Ten games, it's always good whenever... Big Ten football is close and competitive. Yeah, let's go get that land grant trophy. Yes, do it for the money. Do it for the land grant. Um, yeah. All right, let's get into the college football playoff rankings reaction. Top four, same as last week, same as the week before. Number one, <laughs> Alabama. Number two, Notre Dame. Number three, Clemson. Number four, Ohio State. Big movers this week. No surprise, Coastal Carolina moving up five spots, number 13, after their big win over BYU. USC also moving up five spots, number 15, after they had moved down the previous week. They are, they and Colorado are the two remaining unbeaten teams in the Pac-12, and they are the only two ranked teams in the Pac-12. So, you know, good to see USC moving its way back up. And Louisiana moving up six spots, number 19, over there after their big win over App State. So good on them and good on the Sun Belt. And they'll have a pretty big uh, Sun Belt championship game coming up. Mm-hmm. And, you uh, know, Caleb, before we jump into, because I know we have we have some other teams that are making some good jumps. Um you know, you, you said you said it and brought it up. Our top four hasn't changed. Previously, and we're thinking of the ACC championship game, previously I said, you know, if Notre Dame wins this game, Clemson should drop out of the top four uh, because that's two losses to them. But if Clemson wins, Notre Dame should stick in the top four. Based on what I'm seeing from, like, Texas A&M, what I'm seeing from Florida, 
whoever loses the ACC championship game, I think they need to be out, and one of those two teams need to be in. I love Kyle Trask and how he's playing for Florida at number six overall. They're putting together an incredible offense. Even whenever Kyle Pitts isn't in the game, Florida's offense is able to do phenomenal things. On Texas A&M's case, Jimbo Fisher has done a wonderful job taking that program and doing some strong things, making Kellen look really good this year, making the whole offense and defense looking uh, strong. So, you know. I don't know. What is your take on that? I know that you were kind of of the opinion that if uh, Clemson blew out Notre Dame, then Notre Dame should also be out. But but what have, have your thoughts changed at all, I guess is what I'm trying to ask in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I'm just trying to think, you know, what if we get – let's say we get this scenario. We, we know I'm pretty sure Alabama and Florida are playing in the SEC title game. So what if Florida wins that game, Clemson beats Notre Dame in a close one, mm. and Ohio State wins the Big Ten. So – then we got five teams for four spots. I would assume Florida and Clemson are in since they won their conference mm-hmm. title games, you know, just one loss, and they played basically a full season as compared to Ohio State. So then, you know, who gets those last two teams does? Mm-hmm. I would think Alabama still gets in. So then it comes down to, you know, Notre Dame and Ohio State. Did Notre Dame's earlier win over Clemson give them enough to stay above Ohio State? Or would Ohio State winning the Big Ten championship game give them the tiebreaker of a Notre Dame? So, Maybe we still have some interesting talks to come up here with the, you know, who's making the playoff and who isn't, but so far, status quo. Yeah, and there's so many people that love to say, like, oh, I don't want to be the people making those decisions. Honestly, with how exciting this season has turned out to be with the teams up top, I would love to be in that room making that decision, Caleb. Mm -hmm. It'd be cool to get that experience. Yeah, and we're seeing a lot. Um what else are we seeing from the uh, college football rankings? Yeah, this is a pretty big, pretty interesting move as Iowa State moving up from number seven, or sorry, to number seven from number nine. They pass Cincinnati, who had did not play last weekend, and Georgia, who also did not play last weekend. Iowa State crushed West Virginia, I think. They beat West Virginia, but, you know, again, like I said, in some of these scenarios, what if? The Big 12, I think they still have a small outside chance of making it into the college football playoff. Iowa State up to seven, Oklahoma remaining steady at 11. And the big loser, I think, in these rankings, Indiana moving, not moving, sorry. They're staying at number 12 despite beating Wisconsin. We know Wisconsin's not ranked anymore, at least by the college football playoff committee. Um I don't know who they should have passed. In my opinion, they should have passed Georgia, but that seemed always like a long shot. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure who else they should have passed. Maybe Oklahoma. But, um, you know, stinks for Indiana to have a big signature win and to not be rewarded by the committee. Yeah. I was I was disappointed to hear that, just with how phenomenal Indiana has been playing, especially whenever they dropped back all the uh, – I think, what was it? Was it three spots they dropped after losing by a touchdown to Ohio State? Mm-hmm. Um I was bummed that, that they dropped them back that far to begin with, too. So disappointing. Yep. All right. Let's move into who you got week 15. Don't whoop, whoop. forget, we got our ESPN Bowl Mania group. We'll tweet out a link to that again so you can sign up and compete against us. First, bowl games are in just 10 days. So um, some of these teams are already starting to accept a bid. So we'll, I'm sure we'll start to see a bunch more fill in soon before the final selections are made. I would assume on December 20th with the rest of the college football playoff final rankings mm-hmm. last week, 
you went five and three, Phil. I went five and three. I think one of the ones we differed on was that Coastal Carolina game that was canceled and rescheduled, unfortunately. So no separating us. You have 80 wins on the year. I have 81. Close lead. First off, we'll go back to the Big Ten. Wisconsin at number 16, Iowa. There is an even point spread in this one, so it's a pick 'em. Wisconsin leads the all-time series 48-43 and two, including winning the uh, the last four games. Phil, who you got? This is uh, this is a game that maybe at the start of the season seemed like it was going to be a Badgers blowout, but I don't think we're going to see that here. I like what I see from the Hawkeyes this year. They have a good passing game. They have a strong defense as usual. And uh, I think they're going to be set up to to win this game. I'm actually surprised that Iowa was not named a favorite in this game because I think they're going to win by at least a touchdown. Caleb, who you got? Yeah, Iowa's trending up. Wisconsin's trending down. So it's pretty easy for me to pick Iowa in this one. So, of course, that means Wisconsin will probably win. Next game, Nevada at San Jose State. This is a two-and-a-half-point uh, difference with San Jose State being the two and a half point favorite. It's going to be played Friday night in Las Vegas, baby. The winner is going to make the Mountain West Conference Championship game. So there's a lot of big ramifications in uh, in this game. Caleb, who you got? Yeah, the loser could possibly make it depending on the outcome of the Boise State game as well. But Boise State is a big favorite in their game, so we expect them to win. And I will take San Jose State. They're having one of their best seasons ever. You know, it's a shortened season. They're only 5-0 and or 6-0 and in the year. Nevada's having a great year, too. Uh, their first really great year since Colin Kaepernick was there. But I will take San Jose State to win this one. They got kicked out of their home stadium because they are in that Santa Clara County with the 49ers. They're not allowed to play their games at home in that county. So that's why it's being played in Las Vegas. Phil, who you got? Yeah, I have San Jose State too. Like you said, this is one of their best, if not the best, uh, season and program history. And I think that's going to continue here. I think they're going to beat Nevada and as of right now, and, and we'll see how I feel whenever we pick the conference championship game, but as of right now, I even like San Jose State over Boise State, just with the, the positive momentum that I'm seeing from San Jose. So uh, I got them in this game. Caleb? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Next up, the Battle of Southern California, number 15, USC, a three-point favorite at UCLA. UC, USC leads the all-time series 48-32 and seven ties, including winning 52-35 to last year. Phil, who you got? Good game in the state of California. Uh, I'm surprised that the whole state just didn't shut down, and it was only Santa Clara. But uh, that being said, and I mean that some, somewhat facetiously, but uh, – should be a really good game, obviously. This is a tough one, but I like Keaton Slavis. This is Trojans. I like Clay Helton. So I'm going to pick USC. Not super confident, but I don't really love the head coach of UCLA. Some people may be familiar with him, uh, and so I like the Trojans. Killed who you got? So I'm going with the upset. You know, USC played a great game in their last game on. They played on Sunday due to some COVID issues, uh, but um, you know, we saw them basically barely win some of their first early games. So I think UCLA has a chance here, and they will pull off the upset. Okay, good. We finally disagree on something. <laughs> I have to try to get ahead. 
Let's look at the next game here. We got number nine, Georgia, a 13 point favorite at number 25, Missouri. Missouri has won five of their last six after starting the season 0 and 2. So they also are a team that is on the up and up. Caleb, who you got? Yeah, I thought about this one for a while, but I'll take the Bulldogs. I think they played pretty well since JT Dinos took over as quarterback. If Stenson Bennett was playing, you know, maybe I would go with Missouri, but I'll take Georgia on this one. Phil, who you got? Yeah, and you know, you you basically took the words right out of my mouth. If Benson, if Benson was in this game, I may have taken Missouri Robinson. I think is their quarterback a, a transfer. Uh, been playing good football, but uh, no, I think I think Georgia and Kirby Smart come out of this game with a win. So I got Georgia. Next up, we got the Battle of Virginia. Virginia at Virginia Tech. Mm-hmm. Tech is a two point favorite in this one, and they lead the all time series fifty eight thirty eight and plus five ties. Virginia won last year, though, ending a long Virginia Tech winning streak, 39-30. to Phil, who you got? Yeah, this is a tough game being a resident of Virginia and having many friends who like both teams. Um, and in most cases, and most years, because of that winning streak, I would have picked Virginia Tech. And honestly, at the start of the season, I thought I was going to pick Virginia Tech, too. But... They are a team, I think they're on a four-game losing streak right now. Uh, I think that's going to extend to five. I think the Cavaliers of Virginia are going to pull out a big win. Shout-out to uh, my buddy Jason at work, who is a UVA grad. Uh, And shout-out to that program and what they've been able to do over the last few seasons. I think they come in. I think their offense uh, does a good job moving the football. I think their defense shuts down uh, Hooker, the the quarterback of Virginia Tech, and uh, they pull off the W. Caleb? Yeah, and um, you said Virginia Tech is on a four-game losing streak. I think Virginia is on a four-game win streak, so momentum's definitely on their side. They finally got the win last year for the first time in a long time, and I think they'll do it again this this year as well. But clearly the best team in Virginia this year is Liberty. Next game here, a classic. This is a game um, my dad had the opportunity to go to a while back with uh, a member of our church who was a lieutenant colonel. That's right, the Army-Navy game. This game is going to be played at West Point. Not its usual site, but COVID does what COVID does. Uh, usually being played, I believe, in... Yeah, I think it's been exclusively played in Philadelphia, right, Caleb? Yeah, for, for at least for the past long time. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. So this is the first non-neutral game since 1943. Army is a six-and-a-half-point favorite. Caleb? Who you got? Yeah, I'll take Army in this one. We haven't talked about Navy in a while. You know, we had them with some big losses early in the year. And they have played better of late, but Army's the better team right now. So I will take Army. Phil, who you got? Yeah, I think, is Army one of those undefeated teams? Or or they have a really strong record uh, overall? Yeah, they have a loss or two, but good season for them. Yeah, Army's been playing some really strong football. I know that this is one of those rivalry games where you can throw the spread out the window, but I like the over in this case. I think uh, I think Army's going to win this by at least two touchdowns. Navy just hasn't looked impressive this year. Started with a big blowout loss to BYU. Yeah, they've won some games, but uh, definitely not what we are used to seeing uh, out of the out of the team as a whole. So I like Army. Go All Army. right. We will move on to my quarantine. Number 17, North Carolina at number 10, Miami. Miami being the small three-and-a-half-point favorite in this one. 
North Carolina crushed their FCS opponent, Western Carolina, 49-9 to last week. Miami coming off a strong performance, too. I think 48 nothing over Duke. Mm-hmm. Um, Phil, who you got? This was a game that I really wrestled with for a long time. Sam Howell and the team, uh, they, they've kind of gone almost like roller coaster-esque where they were high, then low, and they're they're coming back up to a peak again. Mac Brown's done a great job with that team this year, turning them at some points into a top 10 team, um, struggling at other points. Miami, they are what they are with uh, Manny Diaz's coach, Derek King. We've seen a lot of really great performances from them. We've also seen them get their clocks cleaned by Clemson. Uh, I do not think this is going to be a clock-cleaning game. I think that three-and-a-half point spread's good. And I like Miami in this game. I like De'Eric King more than I like Howell. And uh, in college football right now, the quarterback is is the nature of the beast. And so uh, I got Miami in a really close one. Caleb, who you got? I'm sticking with my quarantine, taking North Carolina. Um, Miami having a great year. They lost. Their only loss is to Clemson, but it was a big-time loss. And they haven't played too many good teams, really good teams other than that. So North Carolina is probably the second-best team they faced all year. And I'm not sure they'll be up to the challenge. I'll take the Tar Heels. All right. I Should be a, another really good game. Uh, next game here, let's look at my quarantine. Oklahoma, number 11 in the country, is a 13.5-point favorite against the Mountaineers of West Virginia. Oklahoma beat Baylor 27-14 to last week and clinched the Big 12 championship berth or a spot in the Big 12 uh, championship. Caleb, who you got? Yeah, I'll take the Sooners. Not a great game last week, you know, only scoring 27 points. It's low for Oklahoma for Spencer Rattler and your offense. But I think they'll get it done against West Virginia this this week. You know, I think it might be closer than that 13 and a half. West Virginia is playing a lot of teams tough. And um, so I think this will be a close game, but the Sooners will prevail. Phil, who you got? Between Spencer Rattler, TJ Pleasure. I think Oklahoma will uh, will get their offense right. I I also think that West Virginia will show up to this game as well. Um, I would also expect this to be closer than 13.5 points. I would expect this to be less than two touchdowns uh, deciding the game. So like even like nine points in, in this case. So uh, that being said... I like Lincoln Riley. Beamer is coming back. If you remember at the top of the show, we mentioned he was hired as South Carolina's head coach. Uh, that won't start till next season. And so he is going to come back and, and continue to coach Oklahoma for the duration, as far as I'm aware for this season. And so, uh, you know, the offense won't be going under too drastic of a, a change. I like Oklahoma. And finally, Michigan State at Penn State. Penn State, 15.5-point favorite in this one. Um, you note here, and you sent me this on yeah. Twitter this morning or last night, that uh, before they changed the rule to give Ohio State the chance that this game could have been played for the representative, the East representative in the Big 12 championship game because most other teams either didn't meet the requirement or like Indiana were quarantining and possibly not available next weekend. Phil, who you got? Yeah, I, whenever I was reading the them talking about, and they they had all the names crossed out in the Big Ten championship game, and I, I had not realized just how just how few teams in the Big Ten were meeting that requirement to play in the Big Ten championship game. So, uh, you know, it would have it would have been hilarious. My blood pressure definitely would have gone through the roof. Uh, thankfully, 
I guess in this case, I can breathe a little bit easier. And uh, I feel comfortable saying I think Penn State's going to extend their win streak to three. I think Sean Clifford's going to come and play well. I think they're going to put Will Levison in uh, several plays that are going to make me scratch my head and, and get real frustrated. Uh, folks that follow us on Twitter at CPFB Podcast, you know that I love to uh, comment on the game through that account. And uh, you know my thoughts on a lot of the offensive decision makings. That being said, I think Penn State's going to play this game well. We've only scored over 30 points one time this season, and that was against Indiana. I don't think that uh, we break 30, but I think we put up a good amount of points. I think we put up 24 points, and I think our defense holds strong at 13, at keeping Michigan State to 13 points. So Penn State, 24-13. Caleb, who you got? Yeah, I got a pretty similar scoreline here. I've got Penn State winning 24-17. Michigan State has those two big victories over Michigan and Northwestern. But other than that, they've been you know generally blown out in a lot of their games. So the scoreline might seem pretty hard to actually come by. But you know we saw, especially in the second half, that Penn State doesn't really seem to want to put teams away that they're um, better at. Than, but that they're better than, I'm sorry. But um, so that's why I think that Penn State, yeah, won't get to 30, definitely won't get to 40 and be able to, you know, put this game away early, you know, maybe in the third quarter or something like that. So Michigan State will hang around, but I think Penn State will make it three wins in a row. Yeah, I like it. So um, should be another good game, hopefully for us, and uh, a game that it won't have me. Well, you know, honestly, Caleb, usually whenever I watch Penn State, I am like jumping up and down, screaming and shouting and uh, going crazy. I haven't really been like that this year. I've been uh, I've been pretty subdued, and so uh, I'm hoping we get we get back to that point where I get where I get all sorts of riled up. We'll continue to support my Nittany Lions. I'm just hoping that uh, that fire can be lit up. I feel like I feel like James Franklin. You know, I'm just missing some passion there. That being said, always thankful and always passionate about this podcast, and uh, you know. Really want to thank the listeners for tuning in. It's crazy to think that we're at week 15 already. And so uh, if you're tuning in, we certainly hope that uh, you'll reach out to us and, uh, you know, let us know you're listening. You know, reach out to us on Twitter, like I said, at CPFB Podcast. Uh, you can connect with us by giving us a rating on iTunes or pretty much anywhere the podcasts are found. And that's also how you can listen to us. Basically, wherever you like to get your podcast, that's where you can hear us. Um, Thank you, thank you, thank you again so much for tuning in to a couple buddies from college that just love talking about college football. Caleb, before we sign off, any final words of wisdom? Go Penn State. We are. <laughs>